Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. Now here is Pastor Scott Floyer. We are continuing in our series, Man vs. Wild. And uh, I don't know about you, but last week I was challenged when it comes to what does it mean to be a follower of Christ, to be a man of God. Um, this week, I'll be honest with you, I kind of got pushed a little bit about what I was going to talk about and what, you know, it, it's amazing how as you prepare, the things that you're working through actually are impacting you in an amazing way. And I really believe that this week I was kind of getting messed with in a lot of ways, both physically, spiritually, emotionally. Um, I ended up, I haven't had migraines in like three years and I ended up with migraines this week. And so I really believe that there is something coming out of here today that, that is going to be good because I was, I, was, I ticked off Satan and I, wanted, I said, bring it. The bring it, you know, and then I went home and cried. No, um, we're looking at different things about what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a godly man? Um, and again, I want to remind you, this is not just for the men in the room. I'm speaking specifically to men because I think that's important. I think we've lacked some of that in, in our Christian culture. Um, but ladies, I want you to understand that these things are areas that, that impact you as well. Whether you're a single woman, a, a married woman, whatever, um, these are things that impact you as well. Uh, our first week we talked about Beniah and how he chased down a lion and, and how God is bigger than our circumstances. And last week we talked about what does it mean to have um, a life that stands for Christ. And, and what are those areas that we need to stand in. Uh, this week... I want us to really think about what does godly character look like? What does, it have, what does it mean to live a life of godly character? What are those areas? I mean, why is it such a big deal that we talk about character now in this day and age? What is, I mean, what, what is the big deal? You know, I started thinking about that, and so I did some research, and um, I just read this, that there's a corporate malfeasance is only practiced at the top, an estimated 79% of workers admit either stealing or consider stealing from their employer. And while we might even think that the stapler or the legal pad we pilfer means anything, one out of every three businesses goes out of business because of employee theft, as, re as reported by CNN. Even worse, the cheating culture has created an atmosphere that dissuades whistleblowers from coming forward and exposing this extremely pervasive practice that costs upwards to $600 billion a year. Just, okay, so why, why talk about character? Why talk about character? How about, how about this one? Uh, authoritative numbers are hard to come by, but according to 2002 survey of 12,000 high school students, 74% of them admitted to cheating on an exam in the last year. In a six-month investigation, Primetime traveled to colleges and high schools across the country to see how students are cheating and why. Bottom line is not just that many students are, have more temptation, but they seem to have a whole new mindset about cheating. I mean, I, I was doing this research and it kind of really, I got a little nervous. Because when you put in the words cheat, you also get other websites. Okay? And I found a couple, which I thought were real interesting. Okay? They popped up. It said this. Three websites on the Google search said this. One of them was called Married Dating. Discreet Dating for Married People. It was a website. I was like, are you kidding me? There were some people I was worried about. It says, organized love affairs. You select, we connect. That was the title. I'm like, say what? Now, this is the one that really bugged me. And I even called uh, the person that, I ho that holds me accountable on what websites I saw because I clicked on this one because this one 
This one bugged me, okay? This one was called Meet a Cheating Wife. Find local cheating wives to date. Now, I want you to know, I clicked on this one. I did. And you know what I got? 250 women within 10 miles of this church were on this website. I went home and asked my wife about what website she's been on lately. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know why? Because I trust my wife. So, you know. But it's one of those things. I, I'm looking. I was like, are you serious? So why do we need to talk about godly character? We don't need to talk about it, right? The divorce rate between Christians and non-Christians is not any different. The theft at Christian events is higher than non-Christian events. I helped with a friend. I used to do security at an event uh, venue in Denver called Fiddler's Green. And did you know that we had to do more security checks at Christian events than we did non-Christian events? I'm like, are you serious? Why do we need to talk about godly character? I mean, is there really a reason? You know, I was looking through um, this book. I, I've been reading this book, No More Christian Nice Guys. A good book. By the way, we have a couple in the Resource Center um, if you do want to check it out. But there was one quote by Robert Kennedy that I really, really liked. It said, progress is a nice word, but change is its motivator, and change has its enemies. And I want you to understand, we don't need progress when it comes to godly character. We need change. We need change. For the men in this room, we need to change. We need to set the example. We need to raise the bar. Some of you go, well, you know, it was different. My dad was different. You know, I, 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 you know my dad did this, and I, you know, I just automatically act like my dad. Well, don't be stupid. Learn to be, like my dad told me, be different. When I had bad grades as a freshman in college, I called him up. I said, you know, all freshmen have bad grades. He goes, be different. Don't be like all the other freshmen. Men, we need to be different. God has called us to have godly character. You want to know why? Because godly character counters corrupt ideas. Let me say that again. Godly character counters corrupt ideas. You know how I can read this? I, I, can, I can talk to about a man in, in the Bible. There's a story about John the Baptist. And I love John the Baptist because he was kind of a wild and woolly guy. He didn't look nice. He didn't dress nice. He didn't eat all the nice food. He lived out in the desert. He wore camel hair. He, he ate locusts and honey. Bear Grylls was not the first one to eat you know, um, insects. John the Baptist went, ah, that's nothing. You know what I'm saying? He was eating them already. And if you look in uh, um, Luke chapter 3, it says it in this way. Chapter 3, it says, Now the, 14th, or the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor, Pilate was governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over Atertia and Triconus. And Sil I hate these names. <laughs> My, San Francisco. Why can't it be something like that? Okay. So Ananias and Sapphira were the high priest, or Caiaphas were the high priests at the time of the message from God, who came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living out in the wilderness. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had turned from their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah had spoken about John, and he said this: He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. I like that part, shouting. He wasn't being nice. Let's be a preacher. Let's be a, no, I'm going to shout. I just want you to know that. 
He says, prepare a way for the Lord's coming. Make a straight road for him. Fill in the valleys and the level of the mountains and hills. Straighten the curbs and smooth out the rough places. And then all people will see the salvation sent from God. Here is a sample of John's preaching. To the crowds that came for baptism. He turned and looked at him. He said, you brood of snakes. Who warned you to flee God's coming judgment? Prove by the way that you live that you have really turned from your sins and turned to God. Don't just say we're safe. We're the descendants of Abraham. That proves nothing. God can change these stones here into the children of Abraham. Even now the axe of judgment is poised, ready to sever your roots. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. So the crowd asked, what do we need to do? John replied, if you have two coats, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? He says, show your honesty. Make sure you collect no more taxes than the Roman government requires you to. What should we do, asked some soldiers. John replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people of things you know they didn't do. And be content with your pay. I mean, John was very practical when he was talking about biblical character. When he was talking about godly character. Because we need to understand that godly character counters corrupt ideas. He, godly character says no when the world says yes. One of the first things that I heard uh, when I was getting involved in ministry was this. Learn to say no. Learn to say no. So you got to learn to say no. Because if you keep saying yes to everything, then you're going to yes your way out of a wife, and you're going to yes your way out of kids. So I had to learn to say, and it's not easy when you're in ministry because people are like, preacher, don't you need to be the one that does this? Don't you? And, and it was hard at first. I was like, uh, no, maybe, you know, and, oh, okay, maybe this time. I had to learn to say no. Now it's a lot easier. 15 years into ministry and people are like, can you do it? Nope. They're like, why not? Because no. <laughs> They're, What's your reason? Hot. No, there's the reason. Praise Jesus. Have a good day. You know what I mean? But it's an idea that we have to, as men, uh, men and godly men, godly women, we have to learn to say no. If your son or daughter is going to jump up on the stove while it's still on, you don't go, well, don't do that. Right? You're going to go grab them. You're going to move. You're going to say no. Don't touch it. Don't grab that. My son, at one point in time, I love my son because he's a boy. Okay? He's a boy. I, you know, it drives me nuts. People are like, well, shouldn't he be nicer? No, he's a boy. Let him be a boy. He, we looked out back, and he's the one climbing the tree, always climbing the tree. I love it. I love it. So he's climbing the tree. Of course, my wife, what does she think she needs to do? I need to go get him. <laughs> no. Let him climb the tree. She's like, what if he falls? I was like, he won't climb the tree again. <laughs> right? But he might break something. That's what insurance is for. <laughs> right? Know why I had to do that? Because I remember climbing the tree. You know, God wants us to climb out of this idea that we need to be the nice guys sitting in our little suits, sitting in church, and talking a good game, but not doing a good game. Because when it comes to godly character, godly character is not something you just talk about. There's action to it. That's what John was talking about. That's what John was talking about. Because the religious people of that day were good at talking a good game, but they were horrible at doing it. Look at what he goes on and says. 
You remember he told the guy, um, he said, you know, those of you that are children of Abraham, he says that, that may be good enough. He, God says he can turn the stones into children. In fact, what they're saying is our religious beliefs were good enough. And what John is saying is that the idea of being religious is not good enough. Those people were saying the idea is religious is being good enough. You know what? Religious is not good enough. I know a lot of lousy religious people. I really do. Christian people that talk a good game, but don't act. Matthew 7, 21 says this. Not all people who sound religious are really godly. They may refer to me as Lord, but they still won't enter the kingdom of heaven. The decisive issue is whether they obey my Father in heaven. You know, some people really sound godly, but they're not. You know, now a lot of people will say, well, aren't you being judgmental? No, I'm looking for the fruit of what God is doing in their life. Because the action should match the talk. It, it sh- they should line up. If they don't, then it's all talk. It goes on in James 1, 26 and 27. It says, if you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you're just fooling yourself. And your religion is worthless. Pure and lasting religion in the sight of God our Father means that we must care for orphans and widows in their, in their troubles and refuse to let the world corrupt us. I want you to circle the word corrupt us right there in that set of verses because that's what happens if we don't spend time in a relationship with Jesus Christ, the world will corrupt us. Now I want to remind you that does not mean we separate ourselves from the world because then we become useless. Drives me nuts when I hear people say that. Well, I just can't hang out with my non-Christian friends anymore. Is that true? Then you're a moron. Because <laughs> who else is going to hear about Jesus from someone that they really know and care about? I'm just going to go find my little holy huddle. <laughs> Please, give me a break, right? God wants godly character within the world. He says, don't separate. Be, don't be of the world. Notice the difference. Godly character counters corrupt ideas if we don't do this it's not just about talk it's about action it's about action the next thing that john kind of confronted was that the idea that everything i have is mine i mean i'll be honest as a man in my home there are certain things that i go that is mine don't touch it remote control praise god (laughs) right okay see men men, men. preach it (laughs) right my recliner. You back yourself up. You see, sitting out. guys have come over and said, I'm like, no. No, no, Jesus loves you, but get out of the chair now. I mean, but, but this is the idea that we've got to remember that God says that they're not yours. Your wife, your kids, not yours. Your money, not yours. God says, I've loaned it to you. It's mine. Matthew 23, 25 says, How terrible it will be for you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. Love that word. You are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and dish out uh, and the dish, but inside you're filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. Notice he uses the word greed for religious people. He uses the word greed. Because sometimes because of our religious ideas, we get greedy. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, Trust in your money, and down you go. But the godly flourish like leaves in spring. K. 
Can I just say that that verse sounds real familiar in our culture today? I mean, some of you, I heard a pastor say, have a 401k, now it's a 201k, right? Right? I, I really don't believe we're in a depression. I really, people say, oh, we're in a depression. No, no, no. I've been to India. That's a depression. Let's just say our culture has changed a little bit. Because I guarantee you, no one in this room is going home and sleeping under a bridge. I guarantee you no one in this room is going without a meal today only because you chose to because you're on the South Beach diet. Okay? But it has nothing to do with you have not. See, I don't think this is a depression. I think it's a spiritual awakening. Because some of us in this room have realized our real God is our wallet. Now many people are going, oh man, I knew it. This is church. They're talking about money. Exactly. You're right we are. Because in the United States, there are, three, or there are two other churches, the church of sex and the church of money. And those are the greatest churches that are going on in the world today. Now, I, I guarantee you, men are going, hey, you ain't telling me how to spend my money. No, I'm not. God is. Argue with him. It's not your money. I get real irritated when I'm around Christian people and they're like, oh, you can't tell me about my money. <laughs> I won't. God will. He'll shake you up. I guarantee you, he'll shake you up. I actually went to my wife, because this is the place that shook me up, because I don't care about money. I really don't. I'm one of those, my wife's like, well, we got to do this. I'm like, sweet, go ahead. Sounds good. Go for it. You know, kids are like, we need this. I'm like, okay, that's fun. Let's, all right. Let's get, you know, my wife's like, hello, you need to have money. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm one of those. I had to go to my wife, and I asked her to forgive me. Because I haven't been the godly man with godly character when it comes to our finances in our home. I need to say no in a lot of places. And I, I'm not. See, some of us need to realize that there comes a point in time where you need to be the leader in your home. Kind of like last week, we talked about taking a stand. But you've got to remember that the money is not your own. Matthew 6, 24. You want to argue with Jesus? Argue with Jesus about money. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If you want to argue about money, argue all you want. You cannot argue with that verse. Because he didn't say God in your job. He didn't say God in your family, did he? He said God in your money. In fact, it says in Malachi, God says, test me when it comes to your money. God says, you can't outgive me. You can't outdo me. So if you want an area to test God, God gives you permission to test him in your finances. When it comes to godly character, remember that it is not all yours. It's on loan. Next thing is this, is the idea that if no one knows, then it's okay. See, that's what he was talking to the tax collectors. The tax collectors would collect money over the top for themselves. And no one knew how much or how little they were supposed to take. So they just took what they wanted. I really believe some of us are taking just because we want not because we need or because we care, just want. I mean, in my house, we often ask the question, do you need it or do you want it? There's a difference. I mean, I really needed that TV in our living room. <laughs> Honey, I said, just think of all the ministry that will happen as men come over and we watch UFC and football. Praise God, Jesus. There we go. <laughs> right? She didn't buy it. It didn't... 
there's a difference between need and want. There's a difference between what is seen and what is not seen. I think we're really good at sins of omission and com- we, it's those things that God, that our friends don't see. Those are the ones that we keep hidden real well. Uh, I had a friend who got pregnant in high school. She was a young lady, um, came to our church, and I watched as the church just separated around her. She would come in and sit during service. And one day my dad goes, why don't you go sit with her? I'm like, okay, I will. So I go sit down next to her. I put my arm around her. I said, hey, how you doing? How's your day going? She just started bawling. I said, what's going on? She goes, the people here don't, they, they just treat me like garbage. And of course, in my biblical spirit and mind, I was thinking, who? I'll hit them. <laughs> I'm going to have a healing because I'm knocking you out. You know what I'm saying? It was one of those things where, I, I, and she just leaned into me. She said, thank you for caring. See, the difference between her sin was people could see it. You know, the question was, I wanted to walk up to the usher that I knew was beating his wife. Or who was a drunk or an addict. Is it yours is no different. See, this is, the same, this is the biblical principle that we need to understand, that godly character counters corrupt ideas. Satan and the world wants you to realize that if people don't know, it's okay. That's why pornography on the internet is on the rise like crazy. In women. In women. Because I know as soon as I said pornography on the internet, all the women went, hmm, those men, pig. <laughs> Nasty men. Women. Women. And we're not talking by like 1 or 2%. We're talking like 15, 20% rise. Proverbs 5.21 says, For the Lord sees clearly what a, a man does, examining every path he takes. You can't hide it from God. I love that. I love the idea. People are like, well, God didn't see. <laughs> Are you serious? I mean, God never goes, I didn't know that was coming. <laughs> Surprise. Did you see that? I don't know. You know, give me a break. Proverbs 24, 12 says, don't try to avoid responsibility by saying you didn't know about it. For God knows all hearts and he sees you. He keeps watch over your soul and he knows you knew and he will judge all people according to what they have done. He knows it all. He sees it all. Godly character counters corrupt ideas. God is going to speak into your heart and go, no, don't do that. I was watching Pinocchio last night. Yes, I watched Pinocchio. Shut up, okay? I love my daughters. And in there, Pinocchio automatically, you know, when he comes to life, the, the good witch or whatever her name is, the good fairy, you know, comes in. And, and she says, now you have to live by your conscience. And, and Jiminy Cricket jumps in and he says, that, you know, that conscience, that thing that everybody ignores. I believe that conscience is the Holy Spirit speaking into our lives. And a lot of us are spending more time ignoring it than listening to it. Godly character counters corrupt ideas. And the last one is this. They were looking at the idea, I need more and more. As John the Baptist was talking to these people, they kept saying, we need or we need this. You know, it's this idea, I need more and more. I need to keep up the Joneses. I need the new car. I need the new TV. I need the new house. I need all these things. That, you know, I don't need to wait and save for it. I'll just use my credit card. I'll just use, you know, the equity that's in my house that used to be there. <laughs> you know, the idea is that we get more so that we can give more. 
Not that we can keep it all on our own. Proverbs 11.25 says, The generous prosper and are satisfied. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. 2 Peter 2.14 says, They commit adultery with their eyes, and their lust is never satisfied. Watch a guy go to a motorcycle or a car dealership. You want to talk about lust? I'm guilty. I'm, I tell people, I, I was coveting. I was sinning. I saw a black Mustang go by. Praise Jesus. That's ministry, right? Guys do that. We know we do. More technology, more TV. That is lust. It's not just a woman. I think we've created some amazing idols out of sporting events. See, I say those things because that's me. I love this. It goes on. It says, they make a game of luring unstable people into sin. They train themselves to be greedy. They're doomed and cursed. It's not all we need. We don't need and need and need. Habakkuk 2.5 says, Wealth is treacherous, and the arrogant are never at rest. They range far and wide with their mouths open as wide as death, but they are never satisfied in their greed. They have gathered up many nations and so many peoples. I mean, so if godly character is our goal, if all of us were living with godly character and we were getting beyond these ideas of it's mine and I need more and, and all these things, what would be the difference in our world today? I mean, really think about it. You know, there would be people that were homeless just by choice, not because they didn't have enough money, because we were giving it away and sur making sure they could survive. We wouldn't have people uh, going without because we gave so much. We wouldn't have churches that are struggling. I think that is a major sin that God is going to confront his people about. I was reading an article yesterday about churches closing their doors because they couldn't afford the mortgage. But yet, God says our money is supposed to go and further the ministry of his kingdom, which he established to be done in where? His church. ridiculous I talked to a friend last week they're down to one staff member they started out as a church of 1500 people I said how many people you have on Sunday morning he said 1200 I said why are you letting go of people always giving I was like let me come down there we'll talk I'm serious, I don't care. You can walk away upset. Go home, go upset. Then look in your wallet. Look in your wallet. Because you know what? St. Francis of Assisi said this. There's three conversions. There's the conversion of the head, the heart, and the wallet. And I'll be honest, this one's the hardest because we sit on it all the time and go, oh, can't get to it. I can't, oh, sorry. What, what would the world look like? We'd have people whose word was enough. They didn't have to sign a contract. Their word was enough. I love reading in history where guys actually said that their word was their bond. Today we signed, what, how many pounds of paper in a contract just to make sure you don't sue them or take something? Our word doesn't mean anything anymore. We would be satisfied with what we have. We really wouldn't need a credit card. Because we could handle what we were doing through our budgeting, through our financing, through godly principles of character when it comes to money. 
Uh, there's a friend of mine who's actually doing a message series, and he calls it, uh, their message series is called, Where's My Bailout? You know what Jesus said? Your bailout is giving. And it's from the heart, not because someone got on your back about it. Where's your godly character? Because this is the thing. This is the thing. I'm going to go right to the thought of the week. It says this, Jesus changes me and the world's character mess. Because if you notice in the word mess is me. And the word mess is me. Jesus changes me first before I am able to change anything else about my surroundings and my living. Jesus changes me in the mess. I really believe there are men in here right now that need to make it, their lives right with Jesus Christ. And it's not about some emotional thing. I don't want to make it that because, you know what, that, that, that only lasts so long. My goal in here is to encourage men. That means men to take courage to stand and have godly character, to follow Jesus. Because I guarantee you, you follow Jesus, your life will be different. Now, it's not easy. I'm not going to blow smoke like that. I love it. Accept Jesus and you'll win the lotto tomorrow. <laughs> and you'll be rich and no more problems. You know what? That's bull. Actually, following Jesus is harder than just living everyday life. It really is. So when I hear people saying that, oh, being a Christian is for the weak-minded, give it a shot for a couple of days and then tell me. Walk in those shoes that says it is better to give than to receive. Walk in that area in life where it says that, you know what? I need to be humble and serve my wife. My wife is not there to serve me. That my goal is to raise godly children. See, those are the things that happen when you have godly character and it counters corrupt ideas because Jesus says, my way is way different. I want everybody to close their eyes, bow their head. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.